0: Good evening, good morning, are. my name is Thomas Steininger. I welcome you to Radio Wolf, our weekly webcast for consciousness and culture. I'm very happy to have with me this week, uh, Peter Mary. Peter, hello, welcome to the show. Hi, Thomas, thank you. Honored to be here. Peter, you are Chief Innovation Officer of the Ubiquity University, and I think we have to talk about what a Chief Innovation Officer is, and I'm also very curious to hear more about the. Ubiquiti University. You're also a fellow of the Center for Human Ecology in the United Kingdom and I think for many people you're also known as the founder of the Center for Human Emergence in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. And I invited you to Radio Evolve because you are one of the persons who is rethinking really how we as uh, people interested in consciousness and culture can respond to a crisis that we're all in, the corona crisis, and I think it's more than the corona crisis. The virus is just the beginning of something and we don't really know uh, what we're in, but it seems that we are going to quite interesting times right now. So let me start with the personal questions. How are you doing in this crisis? Oh, thanks. Um,
1: I'm doing okay, actually. Most importantly, you know, me and my family and uh, people around us are healthy. So that's the key thing. Um, it's, um, you know, we'd have to adapt because, um, my way of working hasn't changed much because at Ubiquity we're a virtual organization. So we're used to working online. We have a team spread around the world. So the way of working hasn't changed, but, um, you know, now I have three boys who are 16, 14 and nine. And so they're at home all day now. And my wife works at the health ministry. So she's busy. So we split the day half, half, which means I have less time. But we're actually busier than ever because, of course, people are shifting to online and doing things online. And as you mentioned, this initiative, Humanity Rising, has burst onto the scene, um, which is um, making us busier than ever. But uh, it's very hopeful. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And otherwise, it's, you know, I've been giving talks for years and years about um, the chaos point where stuff breaks through and stuff, you know, breaks down at the same time. And one of the slides, and I do stuff on climate, on food, on I go through different issues, and one of them's on pandemics. And it says, Oh, really? Yeah, uh, it says, you know, so 1918, we had this flu pandemic, it killed so many people. We're now due for another one. You know, what's going to happen? How are we going to respond to that? Yeah. And so uh, here it is, you know, and it's uh, the thing is about this you get a single issue that comes to the forefront, but it doesn't mean the other ones go away. So all the other ones around climate and everything else are still there burning in the background. But this has somehow, um, I think, made people stop and think a bit. And that means it gives us all an opportunity to exploit the moment where people aren't running around uh, like crazy in their normal busyness, um, to present you know, ways of thinking and solutions to doing things differently, that which people might be more receptive to now than when things seem to be normal.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's so so much going on this, at, at this time right now because, of course, there's also a spiral of fear. There's a lot of also uh, kind of questions, conspiracy theories, ideas what this is about. Uh, there's just also concern about many people are losing their jobs, particularly in the U.S. Many people who are coaches uh, lose their way of life right now and we don't know where we're going. So it is definitely a big disruptor. And on one hand, it is a chance for some new beginning. But first, we also have to take care of the situation. It's, it is a pandemic. Uh, there are really people dying, particularly in the UK. There are really a lot of people dying right now. And in New York, we know a lot of people are dying right now. So there are many things to respond to right now. What do you think are... When you, when you look at the situation... And uh, when you ask the question, so what is important to see here right now? What would you say, what is important in this kind of uh, very unusual situation we're in to really be aware of?
1: Well, it's important to, like, as you say, stay connected to the reality as well. So make sure that we're um, feeling along with, you know, the pain of what's happening, that we don't disconnect ourselves from that, that we keep our heart open and stay connected, and with our compassion to what's going on. Um, at the same time, whilst looking at, okay, what, how do we make sure that the pain and suffering that people experience at this time isn't in vain mm. and that we can actually take this opportunity and build something better for the future uh, than what we had before? And to me, that's the best way to honor um, those who have died due to this crisis, um, would be to, to, to use the opportunity, um, to move into a world that, you know, would maybe make it less likely to happen again, or at least would make it a world where, you know, all of life can flourish more than it was,
0: um, beforehand. So I'm really curious because I haven't talked to anyone who kind of, uh, had a, PowerPoint presentation about a coming pandemic and mm-hmm. thought about what this is a big disruptor would mean before this pandemic was happening. And when you were thinking about, and of course uh, you had the example of 1918, the flu pandemic was a possible pandemic. Uh, what was your uh, thinking? What would a pandemic like this create? What is the danger of this? What mm-hmm. is the opportunity of this?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, the nature of these kind of moments, which I would always describe as a non-linear change moment, so they're where things happen fast and breakdown happens fast and breakthrough happens fast, hand in hand, um, is that you, you know, you can't really predict what that, what the future is going to be that emerges from it. Mm-hmm. Um, So the key is in these moments to um, notice what is breaking down and to be paying attention to what it is that's breaking through. Um, Help what is breaking down to let go gracefully in terms of systems and structures and ways of thinking and ways of doing things um, whilst putting in place the conditions for the new uh, solutions that are emerging to accelerate, basically. Mm Um, so it's 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 really holding holding both at the same time, holding the the process of breakdown and staying connected to that. Because um, what you always get in these kind of in these moments of of amplified stress is you get a, a kind of regression, often a fall back to more you mentioned fear, more fear based and more contracted ways of thinking and responding. Um, and at the same time, you get a breakthrough to more uh, holistic or integrated ways of doing things. So it's like having a bubble, uh, like a, having a balloon and squeezing the balloon in the middle. You get a big bulge at the bottom and you get a big bulge at the top, basically. And the bulge at the bottom, you could say, is a regression triggered by fear. And the bulge at the top is, a, is the breakthrough uh, response triggered by you know, the life conditions asking us to come up with new solutions.
0: Let me ask you, I mean, right now, what we're seeing is a pandemic and obviously an imminent economic crisis. But you're saying there's a breakdown and possibly a breakthrough. What breakdown are you seeing? What are you, what are you seeing when you say there's a breakdown happening? What is breaking down? Well, you,
1: you, I mean, you could take... Um, um, and I think across sectors, what we're seeing is, on the one sense, um, how in the healthcare sector, um, how maybe our current way of understanding and engaging with health and well-being um, isn't adequate to um, the kind of challenges we're going to be facing. So, so how do we, at the moment, we've, we're very dependent on experts solving the problems for us. And yet there are ways... If you look at uh, more information medicine and working more consciously with consciousness, there are ways for us to actually look after ourselves and heal ourselves um, consciously um, without um, always needing to lean on on the experts and There's been a number of initiatives I've seen coming through you know one which was a sound based um, resonance. It was basically a sound file that you listen to that has encoded within it um, information that boosts your immunity to corona Mm -hmm. and has been used successfully with AIDS and and uh, and other um, and viruses and other things Um, that and those those kind of approaches um, in a way what they do is in in the same way that three D printing decentralizes production um, it decentralizes. Um, healthcare puts it back in people's hands in a way, rather than us always being dependent on others. And this is, I think, part of a bigger trend that we're going to see going on is this centralization that has gone on into um, what, say, Ivan Illich called expertocracies, where Mm -hmm. we've outsourced our expertise to all sorts of financial experts, uh, healthcare experts, education experts. Um, Which means we don't trust ourselves anymore. We don't trust our own knowing about what's right and what's wrong in those areas. And there is a role for the experts. Um, But there is also a, a role for enabling people to gain more ownership over these different parts of their lives. And not just trust because, you know, my financial advisor says this or because the economic experts say that, that that's the way it needs to be done. Um, so as, for example, if we take to economics, so the, the um, recent book I wrote called Why Work has a whole uh, section on how we put in place local economies that act in a way as a, um, a net to catch us when the mainstream economy fails. And that not only, not only is it a, a kind of rescue mechanism, but it actually enables us to lead more fulfilling lives because we're able to express different parts of ourselves that we can't normally express in the mainstream, purely profit-driven economy. Um, and then it builds resilience locally, both economic and cultural resilience. So things like how do you, how do you create parallel economic systems? You don't have to replace you know, a global economic system but how do we create parallel economic systems that work at the appropriate levels? So things that need and can be traded locally, what's the economic system that best serves that, you know, or regionally or nationally or internationally. And how do we enable those to work in parallel? Um, Because now what we're noticing now is our dependency on the current global financial system is meaning that there's lots of people who could be contributing really positively. Uh, who are now at home because there's not enough money. Well, to pay them, you know. Well, if there's stuff that needs to be done and there's people who could do it and somehow those things aren't being matched up, it means that the economic system that's meant to be doing that is failing. Right, so how do we create other systems that enable people's expertise and passions to match a need in the world? Because our current economic system is clearly not enabling that. And it's the way it has been enabling it up until now has been purely around a, an assessment of value driven by financial productivity rather than a more holistic understanding of value, which would nurture human well-being and ecological health. So, I mean, the, you could almost pick any sector. And look at it. Uh, Let me take education. For example, I'm, you know, when I, my, my eldest son started secondary school here within a year and a half, he was showing burnout symptoms was at the doctor and he was saying, Oh yeah, the problem is that your son is both sensitive and intelligent and that's the worst combination for school. And I stopped for a minute and I was like, well, wait a minute, surely that's the best for a healthy human being is to have both sides he said, oh, yeah, I see quite a few people coming through my surgery who both are sensitive and intelligent and uh, and they suffer for the school system. So while I was over, well, I, when I heard that, I decided we needed to get a different school system and found an example of one that was already working in the Netherlands called Agora, got it to the town where I live. And so both my uh, elder sons are now in that school, which is. Um, where there's no formal classes, there's no testing, there's no homework, there's no grades, it's project-based, they're in coach groups, and they're doing a lot of it um, with virtual resources as well. So for them, it wasn't a huge shift to move from the work in their, at their, at their, in their classroom to working from home. In fact, one of the things they've done is asked everybody to create their desks at school that feel homely. So they stay in the same place. so They bridge the worlds between home and school. And so what you're seeing in education is a lot of the realization. hmm, How do we enable um, a personalization more of education now so that the people can do the work they need to do at their own pace using the resources that best fit their learning style? rather than the factory style of education where everybody sits in a classroom and moves through exactly the same process at exactly the same time uh, with the same teachers. And so there's a whole we're waking up to, I think, in all sectors, other ways of doing things that in a way this crisis has forced us to a, uh, adopt um, simply because the, the, um, the, the systems that we had in place um, can't function. Uh, because of the you know the limitations around corona and
0: things. let's go through the different fields that you just opened up uh, yeah. the health system the economics the education uh, when we just talk about the health system i mean there, there is a lot uh, to be seen right now on, on one hand uh there's a virus uh, and, uh, and th- this virus has also uh, in some ways it's it's a health challenge that really also needs our classic response or our health system in a way, uh, where there is, I think, a lot of gratefulness that we also have, particularly in Europe, a functioning health system. You see, non functioning health system, at least much more not working functioning health system in the US. And you see also the discrepancy that this creates. You, you see that this virus is not neutral in relationship to wealth, because there are people who can basically take care of themselves. And you also see that people who are at risk in their life, on one hand, it's age, but on the other hand, it's also people who have uh, a healthy or not healthy lifestyle forced on them. So in the the U.S., uh, it's very shocking to see that uh, the black community is much more in danger because they, on one hand, are forced to a lifestyle uh, with unhealthy life conditionings that makes them much, much risk. They have no insurance, and uh, they have also basically no way to uh, respond to this. uh, So there's a lot of questions that open up our health system, but there's also the question opening about experts, because we're having a whole discussion about the virus, We have epidemiologists, we have statistics, and we have also a relationship to death where people rightfully ask the question, okay, is this really the right relationship where we just basically say nobody can die, but the question how people are dying is not really part of the discussion. So there are a lot of questionings opening up. What you see is going down here, and what you see is maybe an emerging different possibility.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We had a wonderful talk given to us um, in our webinars for free series at Ubiquity um, by a a woman who was a naturopath Mm -hmm. and she was making the points about the difference between what she called germ theory and terrain theory. Okay. And terrain theory, terrain means the land or the ecology in a way is that, and from germ theory, you're trying to attack the germ, kill the germ basically from terrain theory you're trying to make the terrain healthy so that the germ can't get at you so seriously, right? So from their perspective, all their, their focus is on prevention and is on making sure that your, your whole system is as healthy and vital as possible so that if the virus does get to you, that you only have minor symptoms, mm-hmm. basically. And so there was a her husband, for example, got it quite early on, She also has a a couple of kids and as a naturopath, she was treating the kids and herself um, in the naturopathic approach and they never got it. So they were in proximity to her husband, but they never, they never got the the virus. Mm. Um, And it's an approach that shifts from a reductionist mindset where we're focused on this kind of uh, idea that we're going to kill the germ. We're going to defeat the germ to hey, the germ is there. How do we make sure that our systems are are strong enough to be able to defeat it should we encounter it? Right. So how do we build our own resilience um, as humans? And this points to you know, what you were talking about, which is how we make sure that everybody in our society has access to a healthy lifestyle, essentially. I mean, it was shocking to me when I first heard that, was it 70% or something of the patients in intensive care were obese we're overweight mm-hmm. so i'm kind of well so that means maybe these kind of lessons will help us understand how um we'll be able to reduce the pressure on our healthcare if we can focus much more on prevention and making sure that people are generally healthy as a whole rather than focusing on trying to treat the problem um, when it emerges so um I think that's maybe one of the lessons that's, that's going to come out of it is because there's going to be more of these viruses, right? They found 27 viruses under the ice cap, which is in the process of melting that we never had to face before. Okay. And, and they're now exploring those. So as the, as the ecology shifts under the pressure of climate change, we're going to see more of these unexpected health challenges emerge. And we can't, you know, we can either just rush around and, you know, try to catch up with them the whole time and create a vaccination two years too late. Mm -hmm. Or we can build the fundamental resilience into our individual systems and collective systems. So one of the things, you know, I've been fascinated about is these, um, the predictions around what's going to drive the next wave of the economy. Mm -hmm. There have been these theories called the Kondratiev waves. And the, the current Kondratiev wave we're in with the wave that's driving the economy is, is, is mainly about information technology. And they've been predicting, you know, the book was from a few years ago on the sixth Kondratiev wave, that the next uh, wave to drive the economy is going to be on uh, psychosocial health, on the health of the individual and the health of the collective, because our current system is making individuals and collectives so sick. Is putting so much stress on them. And so what's going to be needed in the next phase is to get everybody individually and collectively healthy. And that a big part of that is going to be a holistic approach to healthcare based particularly on information medicine, which is strongly related to consciousness, because again, it puts it back in the hands of people, enables them to take some responsibility Mm -hmm. for it. So this, 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 I think, crisis is a very good example of why that prediction um, is quite likely to be true,
0: and as you in this uh, already touched uh, the economic sphere of this because the economic breakdown that we're experiencing right now of course uh, is triggered by uh, the corona crisis, but it's much deeper than that, and it seems that you really think that it also shows a general deficiency in the way how we do economy and that this is somehow related also to a, a, a kind of a, a generalized, as I understand you, money system that holds the economy together and the alternative ways that also are needed in order to respond. Yeah. Uh, do you understand you right in this? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it's really uh, what it's exposed is the vulnerability of a centralized economic system. That once, once it gets hit, it, it ripples out throughout the whole system. And everybody gets affected everywhere, so there is no there is no safety net to catch people when the centralized system breaks down so it 's going to be what it 's going to trigger i think is is a part of a of a general trend, which is a move away from centralized systems like we 're seeing with production, for example, and the, the advent of 3 d printing and other technologies that are decentralizing certain levels of productivity to um, find uh, more um, Decentralised approaches to economics, which means that if one, if the centralised system breaks, the whole system doesn't break down. That we're still able to match people's needs with stuff that needs to be done. So, I mean, for ages, when I first did my dissertation in human ecology in 1996 on the future of work, that informed the Why Work book. I was studying, you know, local economic and trading systems, let systems, or these micro. Uh, currencies that exist in in local environments that enable people still to be able to function and trade goods and services with each other outside of and parallel to the existing economy or what's come to the surface i've noticed now in uh, a lot of the commentaries is this whole idea of a basic income again well that was part of my thesis back in 96 and it's part of the reason i released the why workbook last year is because suddenly everybody seems to be talking about it again and mm-hmm. again there's this whole well, look, all these people are without income at the moment. Wouldn't a basic income be a good way of dealing with that? And the, you know, there are certain conditions that need to be in place for a, a real basic income to be successful. And the reason that they've failed in some of the experiments so far is because of the conditionalities they've put in around them. But when you do that, again, what you're doing is you're making people less dependent on the centralized system. When you have a basic income you're enabling people to make more conscious choices about where they want to put their energy, what they want to spend their time on. Whereas at the moment, when, it, when you're dependent on a central economic system and it breaks down, you have a bunch of people and businesses suddenly without any income through mm-hmm. no fault of their own and not because there's not a need. So if a market is meant to be about literally going to the market and finding something you need, well, the need is there and there are people are there with the need, but it's not being matched effectively when you're in these turbulent uh, times and the turbulence isn't going to go away i mean corona will eventually go away but you know we're going to be hitting a series of crises as some will be health related some will be climate related it's just the times that we're in Um, so we need to make sure that our economic systems have the resilience to be able to respond Um, to that and so this maybe this is you know this is an opportunity for us to have that conversation as well um, which is you know you mentioned humanity rising is part of what we're trying to do with that initiative
0: yeah in fact i I also would like to come to humanity rising into ubiquity university because the situation that we're in it also has a a strong synchronizing effect there's some overall something that we're together in and it seems to be also a, a global conversation around this that is exactly also about. What is breaking down here? What is not working here? Where do we have to go? And it seems to be very much awareness-based. And also for the internet, so social media, this awareness uh, uh, function uh, works in a completely different way. And what you are doing in, in, in the education system the Ubiquiti University, and I would like you also to talk about this, seems to be part of an awareness rising uh, uh, initiative to bring people with all the concerns that you're just talking about together, not based on particular ideologies, but, but, but based on a shared interest in the conversation of, yeah. uh, of, all, of all of this and bring in together via uh, mediums like this, uh, via online gatherings, via what you're doing in online university to create a global conversation about where are we, what is going down and are there alternatives and how can we talk about this? So I would like to share a little bit what Ubiquity Universities is and also what your uh, Humanity Rising initiatives about and how this is a contribution to the situation that we're in right now.
1: Yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah, so, um, I mean, Ubiquity University has been going for a number of years now and really the impulse behind Ubiquity was to set up an education system that equipped people with the mindset and the tool set to deal with uh, um, this kind of reality, to deal with a world that's changing rapidly and where we need to create uh, social innovation um, in all sectors, basically. So how do we equip people with that? And, 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 and an integral approach to things has been at the core of it from the beginning, meaning that we need to make sure we work with not just skills Um, That people develop, but also with mindsets and multiple intelligences like emotional intelligence, uh, collaboration intelligence or the whole person. Basically, how do we enable the whole person to develop themselves so that they are equipped to be able to respond effectively to these kind of conditions and remain creative so that they can come up with solutions? So, you know, at Ubiquity, we have degree programs people can follow, but people can also just come in as lifelong learners and pick a course here and there. And what we evolved over the last couple of years is a competency-based approach that means that you can uh, demonstrate specific skills that you've got, get recognition for those skills by global industry standards, and build yourself a competence portfolio. That means that you are equipped for... Um, working in certain sectors or being able to get the kind of qualification that you need. So rather than the educational institute determining your learning pathway, um, you're put at the center of your learning pathway, Mm -hmm. basically, and you're given a GPS to navigate the learning you need to be able to get your passion and expertise connected to a need in the world so that you can really make a living making a difference. So that was the kind of framing for ubiquity. And um, most recently, what we did is we built this um, social platform for change makers that we call the Ubiverse. And it's like um, a kind of Facebook for change makers, I'd say. So it's a place where people who are interested in trying to make a positive difference in the world can get together, meet each other, find the learning resources they need, and know that we're not stealing their data like Facebook are doing, um, and that they're not going to get bombarded with ads and things. So the ub is a kind of home for global change makers, as it were. And just about two and a half weeks ago, a few of us were having a conversation. And this idea emerged f- around. So at this point in time where people are stopping for a moment and thinking about things, there's an opportunity to drop in ideas about how we could do things differently and not go back to the way things were before. Mm -hmm. Um, So why don't we do some kind of online summit that would bring together speakers with solutions, organizations who are working on solutions and other people who are just interested to learn from them and about it. And so we thought, oh, well, somebody else must be doing this. So we asked around and nobody seemed to be. And all the people we talked to said, yes, that's exactly what's needed right now. Um, And there was a huge amount of synchronicity around it, which is always a good sign to me. Um, The name like dropped in at five o'clock one morning and I was like, oh, humanity rising. Of course. It's like, we all need a lift. It's like we need to, in a way, um, create something, create a future that we all can feel proud of. Because at the moment, not many people feel proud of humanity. It's my Mm -hmm. sense. We all feel we're kind of down a bit and, we're making a mess of things and, you know, we've got these ecological crises. And so how do we lift humanity to do something that we would all be proud to tell our grandchildren about? For example, So, um, so we started this. We started putting out feelers. And literally within a week, we had a whole list of organizations and speakers wanting to participate. And now we're up to a, a reach through the partner organizations of about 4 million people. So, there's going to be huge potential to engage people in these different um, ways of thinking about the world, but also very concrete solutions. And we're going to be running six key innovation tracks around things like healthcare and education, around manufacturing, around uh, really, uh, I think, six different capitals, we're naming it like natural capital, social capital. Um, uh, financial capital as one of them and have these tracks um, really focused on not just a conversation, but we say turning a conversation into actions that make a difference. So really, and we're going we're gonna to have a whole design change process in these streams so that it's not just people talking to each other, but they're actually steps you go through to get innovation out there to get solutions and pathways and to get the reach out into into the mainstream. So we don't don't want to be just talking, you know, to the inner circle anymore. And the nice thing is at the beginning, you know, we had the likely suspects join the people who would obviously say yes. And then more recently, we've had um, World Economic Forum uh, interested. We've had INSEAD, the big French business school interested. We've had the Club of Rome uh, interested. So suddenly we're finding that there's um, it seems to be, you know, it's just one of those things that seems to be the right thing at the right time.
0: That's a very simple question. Yeah. Uh, what do you try to create? What is your vision of this? I mean, I, I, I see all these organizations coming together. I see different threats, but yeah. uh, I, I'm sure there's a leading vision where you see something is possible right now and something where you can make a contribution and, uh what would you say? What is this? What, what is possible through an initiative like this in a time like this?
1: I think it's uh, the possibility now is really to get solutions that have actually been worked on under the radar for the last 10, 20 years even, you know, mm-hmm. and get those uh, amplified and out into the mainstream. So mm-hmm. that where a lot, of, a lot of innovators and people in sustainability have been working hard on solutions in all these different sectors. Um, as we've seen, it's been very hard to get any large-scale implementation. So I think this tear in the fabric of reality, if we think about it, is this opening up that's making people stop and question um, means that there's an openness for thinking about new ways of doing things that might not have been there before when everyone was caught up in their normal busyness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so our, our hope is that what this will do is launch really an ongoing process of innovation around key challenges, drawing people in to learn about them and amplifying the solutions and getting them out there to, you know, both on the one hand, existing leaders who could actually have them implemented, but on the other hand, create new systems that can take over the helm from the old ones. Mm -hmm. On the one hand, you've got influencing the existing system and on the other hand, you've got social innovators, social entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, creating new systems that people start to adopt that means that the old systems can relax and hand over power as it were Mm -hmm. to the new systems as they're mature enough and they prove their effectiveness.
0: Yeah, Because I mean, I I'm I'm not uh, supporting the idea that basically this is now necessarily the the complete change of our destiny. This is, uh, it, it is an open moment. It is an open moment uh, and it's obvious there's a big disruption going on and it's obvious people are listening. People are listening because it seems to be obvious. I really try to be careful not to say it is obvious. It seems to be obvious that a lot of things are not working at this point and the crisis with the virus is just the epicenter of something and many people are aware that a lot of things maybe need a deeper thought. That's why I'm really excited what you're doing because there are a lot of people in different ways thinking about alternatives and I hear from from many sides that all of a sudden people and institutions, by the way, are listening right now. And at some point we will get to a new normal and uh, we don't know what the new normal will be. And it's very much, about this very moment that we're in also to co-create, to co-define what maybe the new normal can be. So th- it is a, a time window that we have right now, a creative time window, I would say, an in initiative like yours can be also it can create an imprint of how destiny unfolds in that sense. So it is really something not that necessarily now everything will be different. Maybe not. Maybe it will fall back to the old. I have no idea. But what is I think obvious that there's a possibility in the air, there is a listening in the air, there is an insecurity. Also just the fact that uh, the uh, the world came to a still stand like never before. People are at home and are in a situation where everyone somehow is not in the usual routines. All that, I I don't want to take it too metaphysical and too far out, but it it, it is like this. And to have people coming together and just use this moment in time to say, yes, and there are also people who have been working alternative. Let's now look. Maybe there are things that are working. Maybe there are things that are worth giving a try. Let's come together and let's talk about this. And that's how I understand what humanity rising as initiative is about. Would you agree that this is kind of the, the thing that you're doing there?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I w- what I would add is that the thing that this, in a way, this crisis has made us see is that should we as humanity globally decide to do something significant and deal mm-hmm. with a significant problem? We can. You know, look, look how, look how we've, people's behavior has changed mm-hmm. over the last period of time. I've often thought looking at climate change and it's not as visible to people as something as dramatic as this. Mm -hmm. That really, we almost need to treat it as if we're um, in a wartime situation where you really kind of say, okay, we're going to now make all of these factories do this. You know, we direct people and our resources to do the things we need to do to avert a catastrophe. Mm -hmm. And it now makes us realize that, wow, we could actually do this if we wanted to. I mean, we did it globally to try to tackle Corona. We could do it to tackle other things as well if we wanted to. So on the one hand, it's, you know, a realization that our governments, if they choose to, can make something happen at this scale. And and then at the other hand, you've got what we need to put in place then is the ability for the bottom-up movement to come with the solutions and the experiments and really massive R&D, right, research and development that needs to go on now to come up with the new ways of doing things, that um, I think when you stop and have conversations with people as they slow down from their busy- busyness, most people feel makes sense. You know, so what would, um, what could we change about our lives, our societies to increase the individual human beings' well-being? Uh, how do we, what would we need to change to increase uh, the vitality and the flourishing of our of our global ecology and planet and other life forms? These are all things you know, to have peaceful societies. If you sit down with people, they go, yeah, we want those things, you know, but we haven't really had the time uh, to collectively to stop and go, yeah, but how do we actually get there from here? Mm -hmm. And that I think is the possibility that we have now Mm -hmm. is to put a, is to put a flag in the future, put a stake out there in the future and show that there's a possibility for us if we choose to, to actually create a different future than the one that's currently unfolding for us.
0: I really like the addition that you brought to the conversation uh, that this is a moment maybe for significant change. Hmm. Because it's obvious also that uh, uh, on one hand, as we discussed, uh, it seems to be obvious that something significant has to change and people seem to kind of really uh, be open to that. And that, again, what you brought in, and which I find, again and again, a very inspiring part of the conversation right now, that the coronavirus, however you judge what the governments are doing, it shows that governments can do something. And that we globally, not just governments, by the way, we the civil society, uh, people in Italy, uh, how they responded as a nation, uh, in many ways, how the, how the British responded to the, to the health service, that we, that we can respond as a culture, something and one of the biggest blockages to the climate crisis was uh, uh, our thought we cannot really change something Mm. and this has been a a kind of a limitation that we have put on ourselves Mm. our doubt that we can do and somehow this is out of the window at at least right now because it's proven no we can so if that's the case also situations like how do we want to live Mm-hmm. What economy do we want to create? And do we really want to kind of bring the climate to break down here? Are questions that we can talk about in a perspective, we can change something here. Mm-hmm. And that changes the conversation itself.
1: Yep. Absolutely. I completely agree. And that's an extremely empowering you know, realization. And, and scary for those who are currently in power, because they've been forced to do something. And what they've done is revealed their hand, which is to say that, oh, if we really want to, we can you know and we can do it collectively globally i think that what they're worried about now is what we're going to demand that they do next <laughs> and that's what we have to put the pressure that's what we have to put the pressure on them to do
0: and and for that we have to have a conversation and for this conversation uh, we also have to find places to come together to have this conversation that's how i understand your initiative can you just uh, explain a little more as we are coming to the end of this broadcast also, uh, how can people connect to what you're doing?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Um, so Humanity Rising, we're going to announce um, it's uh, happening on the 22nd of April, which is Earth Day. Uh, and people that, on that day will be able to go to humanityrising.solutions and we'll be able to sign up for free to the event. We're making it donations based so pay what you can to support both on the one hand, the delivery of it, but 50% of any donation people make goes to the uh, good cause of their choice. So all mm. of the partner organizations will be uh, you know, sending it out to their lists. People can 50% of anybody who comes through their network will go back to those partner organizations because so many of these initiatives are struggling now with Corona and things as well. What we're really trying to do is lift the movement as a whole. So people can come in, they can sign up on the 22nd of April um, from then. And then we'll be ha- launching the summit on the 22nd of May will be the first, uh, first talk. And at the moment, uh, Jane Goodall um, will be part of that. Charles Eisenstein will be part of the launch. Um, and there'll be a number of, of others on that first day. And then we'll have a rolling summit. But it's not just going to be one-way traffic. This is the key. That's why we're hosting it on the Ubiverse. That's this social platform for change makers. You'll be able to join groups with other people, contribute your thoughts on the solutions and start to really build around the inspiration that we may have got from the speakers into serious, serious social innovation tracks for anybody who wants to be involved. And then from the university side, basically anybody who wants to get credit, academic or professional diploma credit for the work they're doing in those streams can get that. So it's not just a talking thing and it's really an action learning process where together we're going to be going through a process of visioning of backcasting of scenarios of innovation tracks um, using the best technologies that we know that are out there um, for P- and we're going to open it up and enable people to participate in that and if they want to get recognition for competencies that they develop in that process be able to build a pro- competence pro- portfolio that can increase their employability and we're really looking at how these diff- different generations can interact with each other. So, on the one hand, you've got the experienced experts; on the other hand, you've got the bright, open thinking of the new generations, and how those can interface with each other to really build something together. So, yeah, twenty-second of April, the launch, Humanity, solution, humanity Rising dot Solutions, and twenty-second of May will be the first uh, the first talks.
0: Peter, thank you so much for this conversation.
1: Thank you for the invitation. You're very welcome.